Today on Let the Bible Speak. A message from a distant land causes two young women to each make an important decision that will forever change their lives. As you walk along the road of life, you too must make that same choice. And a welcome to you on this Lord's Day. Thanks so much for joining me. It's truly a privilege to have a few moments of your time to talk about your soul and your relationship with God. We're in the middle of a series on the wonderful book of Ruth, one of the most touching and inspiring stories ever told. The book of Ruth is only four chapters long, but it's packed with practical as well as theological truth. It's mostly a positive and uplifting story of love and devotion and loyalty but it begins with darkness and tragedy. It was during the time when the judges ruled Israel, and those were chaotic and evil times. To make matters even worse, the book opens by telling us that a famine had struck the little farming village of Bethlehem, and it caused families to have to look elsewhere for food. The story focuses on one family who decided to leave their home and go to the land of Moab, an enemy nation to the east of the Dead Sea. That decision didn't end well for the family of Elimelech and Naomi. As we studied the past two weeks, their choice condemned them to even greater hardship and ultimately death. Perhaps they intended to only go for a short while, but they ended up putting down roots in that country. And when it was all said and done, Naomi is the only one left who went to Moab. Ten long and hard years after leaving home, she finally returns leaving three graves behind in that country, those of her husband and her two sons. Now a penniless and heartbroken widow, she finally receives word that the famine at home in Bethlehem is over. And Though this bitter woman will bear the scars of her years in Moab, her life is finally about to turn around, it seems, and one of the most wonderful stories of human redemption there begins to unfold. Let's pick up the story in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. The record says, Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband." If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Along a dusty road somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem, 
Two young women's lives were forever changed and their destinies sealed. We've talked about the times that try us and the choices that condemn us. Today, the decisions that destine us. And I'll return with the story after a song from the congregation. There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He tends his skies with heavenly dew and framed the worlds with his great mind. There is a God. Last time we looked at Naomi, we saw a tired, grieving, and near hopeless woman. Life has left her wrung out. She's far away from home. Her husband has died, and then her only two sons died. Her little family has now fallen apart, and she is left all alone in this dark and pagan land of Moab with no way of supporting herself. If we could see her face, I would imagine it looked wrinkled and prematurely old. The tears have etched her cheeks and left her empty. And I believe she must have played it all over and over again in her memory and thought, if I could just turn back the hands of time and have never come to this place. Her family has paid the price for their choice to leave the promised land and to go to the land of God's enemies all those years before. And despite a trail of disappointing decisions, the only good thing it seems that has come out of all of this is the relationship that she had with the two young women her sons had married. Now they may have been Moabites and they may have been idol worshipers, but they had apparently loved and cared about their mother-in-law and now they had suffered loss together, they had grieved together, and these three widows had stayed together and somehow held their lives together after the deaths of their husbands. Perhaps by this time it seemed to Naomi that she too would die in this place, away from her home in Bethlehem, which by this time must have seemed to her a distant dream of so long ago. But one day a message came. Now the Jewish Targums, the commentaries of old, suggest, I'm told, that an angel visited Naomi and brought her news that she had longed to hear. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6 records it. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. I don't think there was any deliberation or hesitancy on her part. The Bible simply says that she arose, that she might return from Moab, for she had heard that the famine had finally ended, 
And that's all she needed to know. She likely had no idea what her future would be. But whatever her future would hold, at least it would be home among her people. And so likely with little explanation, she up and walked out of that house she had lived in and without looking back, she and her daughters-in-law started down the long road for Bethlehem. Now, it was good enough for Naomi to leave the heartache of Moab behind and turn her eyes to home. But I want you to stop and think about these two girls walking behind her. It was a different story for them. Because Naomi was leaving a strange land to go home, but these young women were leaving home to go to a strange land. Orpah and Ruth were their names, and Moab may have been a foreign country to Naomi, but it was these women's life. It's what they knew. Their mothers were there. Their relatives were there. It was all they had known. And now, on the whim of some message that came to Naomi, here they are leaving all of that behind and headed to a place that they know very little about other than what Naomi and their husbands may have told them. I'm sure they were worried about their mother-in-law and about her safety, about her making that journey alone. They, it would have been a hard and dangerous trip for her to make. And I'm sure they all wondered what would await Naomi when she got there because after all, it has been 10 years since she left. Much has most certainly changed. And so they go with her. And I doubt if Orpah, at least, gave a great deal of thought to the implications of all this when in haste they left home and headed that way. But as they walked, Naomi begins to think all of it through. She knows that life will not be easy for her daughters-in-law there in Judah. It was her home, but they would be strangers and Moabites at that. And God had cursed the Moabites generations before. They would be not only strangers, they would be widows with no family but her. They would be away from their families in the security of home and of the only life they had known. And by Naomi's way of reckoning, they would have an uphill climb if they went back to live with her in Bethlehem. So somewhere along the road, maybe over near the border country, she stops. And she has a serious talk with her beloved daughters-in-law, the conversation that we read a few moments ago. She tries to reason with them about how hard life is going to be for them. Oh, it's one thing for her to go home, but it's something entirely different for these young women in the prime of their lives to try to assimilate to Jewish life. She tells them, go back home where you can find peace and prosperity for yourselves. As heartbreaking as that must have been for her, she thinks that's what is best. And she kissed them and she tried to say goodbye. But to these girls' credit, they refused. And they insisted they were going with her. But Naomi wouldn't give up. She tries to reason with them. She tells them, you won't have husbands to work and provide for you and to give you children. You won't find husbands over there. And if somehow I could have more sons now, I'm old. I, I don't have a husband. I'm too old to get married. If somehow I were to have children, you wouldn't wait for them to grow up and marry you. So it's just best for everybody here if you turn around and go home. Go back to your mothers. Go back to your families. Go back to the peace and safety of your homes and the lives that you have known. Now, you may disagree, but I think that this reveals what the last 10 or more years has done to Naomi spiritually. She still believes in her God, but she has a lot of questions about him and her relationship to him and about everything that has happened to her and why it has happened to her. Her life and her world has fallen apart. The world has done a number on her. Her name has gone from Naomi, which means pleasantness, pleasantness, to Mara, which means bitterness. It's done a number on her family. 
and she's a shell of the robust and vibrant woman she used to be. Now you think about this. She not only tells these girls to go back home, but she also tried to tell Ruth, down in verse 15, to go back to her gods. Imagine it. Go back to Chemosh and the sacrifice of your babies, as we described in our lesson last week. Go back to that world of ignorance and sin and darkness. I'm going to tell you it's a weak and a compromised faith that sees so little difference between the kingdom of God and the world around us that we think really people are as well off in one as they are the other. There are so-called Christians today who really look at the world that way. They don't shun the world. They embrace the world. They accept the world. There's very little delineation, very little separation in their heart and mind spiritually between the things of God and His kingdom and the things of the world. You see, that's what compromise and worldliness will do to you over time. And now Naomi, she's prepared to say goodbye to these two young women forever because she's concerned about the temporal state of affairs within their lives. But one of the most tender and touching scenes in the Word of God unfolds right here. See them now, these, these three women standing along this dusty country road with their handkerchiefs out, and they're hugging and weeping with Naomi pointing toward Moab where they came from, telling them to go, but Ruth pointing forward to where Naomi is headed, saying, I'm going with you. There will be a parting of the ways here on this roadside, but it won't be Ruth and Orpah leaving Naomi. It will be Ruth and Naomi leaving Orpah because some decisions were made, some important decisions, some not only life-changing decisions for them, some eternal decisions were made on the side of that road. After Naomi's speech, Orpah gets to thinking about these things. And she must have thought, well, she's right, you know. If I keep going, I'll probably never see my mother again. I don't know what's waiting for me over there, and she hasn't painted a very promising picture. I just can't give up everything I have and know to go to a place that I know so little about. Maybe she thought, why do I have to go to Bethlehem with her anyway? I can love Naomi and I can worship her God over here in Moab just as well as I can over there. And that's the way some carnally minded church members think today. They think, well, I can love Jesus and still have my sin. I can serve Jesus and drink my beer and go to the bars and clubs. And I can love the Lord and still run around with my friends and have my fun and live like I want to. Listen to me now. No, you can not. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. When you follow Jesus, you've got to get up and get out of Moab, spiritually speaking. You can't live for Christ and live for the flesh and for the world at the same time. You may be in the world, but you can no longer be of the world. When you decide to follow Jesus, there's a choice to make. It's one or the other, and it's as simple as that. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices, and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She kissed her mother-in-law. You know, that was a kiss of sentimentality. It was a kiss of affection. It was a kiss of wishing her well and telling her how much she cared about her. But listen to me, friend. It was a kiss without conviction. And many, many people today are willing to place the kiss of sentimentality on the cheek of Jesus. Oh, they'll tell you how much they love Jesus and how much they care about Jesus. 
but they'll only travel so far with him. They will only follow him so long as it doesn't cause them too much trouble or until they must give people and things up that they don't want to give up. Jesus said, if you're not willing to deny yourself and even turn your back upon mother and father to follow him, you're not worthy to be his disciple. What's the depth of your discipleship if you claim to be his disciple? And so with a kiss on the cheek, Orpah makes her decision. She turns. And she walks away. She's not willing to give it all up. And we watch her slowly disappear over the horizon and back into the obscurity and darkness out of which she came. And we never hear one more word about Arpa in the divine record. She vanishes, vanishes from the pages of sacred history. But Ruth, Ruth followed. Ruth would not turn back. She cared not for what she had to leave behind. By faith, she was reaching out to the future. And this obscure, idol-worshiping, Gentile Moabitess becomes one of the most significant women in all of the Word of God. I want you to listen now to the vow that she now makes to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And it's one of the most famous and beautiful statements in the Bible. Listen, verses 14 through 18. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she, was deter when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. You ever read that and really thought about what all Ruth was saying to Naomi? This was not some shallow statement made while caught up in an emotional moment. It's not a poem. It's not a platitude. It is the most quintessential and concise statement of discipleship, I suppose, in all the Word of God. Listen to her. She says, Entreat me not to leave you. Or don't try to turn me around. You might as well save your breath. I've made up my mind. And it takes that kind of decision to follow Jesus. She says, for wherever you go, I will go. I don't know exactly where I'm headed, but where you are, that's where I'm going. And you see, that's the nature of simple faith. You don't decide to become a Christian knowing everything there is to know about the Bible and about the Christian life. When you obey Christ and you become a child of God, you know very, very little about living the Christian life. But you have a heart that says, I'm going to learn of Him. And all it takes is simple, trusting, yielding, obedient faith that says to Jesus, what you tell me to do, I will do. What I learn that your word says I am to do, I will do. That's how I'll live. That's it. That's faith. She then says, wherever you lodge, there I will lodge. In other words, she is depending on Naomi and placing her welfare in the hands of this woman. Again, that's faith. She says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. You see, when you become a Christian, you not only have a new father, you get a new family. And listen to this. She says, where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. This wasn't some experiment. This was not a trial run. Ruth isn't sticking her toe in the water. 
She doesn't say, I'll try this God thing out, and if it's not to my liking, I can always turn around and go home to Moab. I can go back to Mama. No, sir. No, ma'am. She is making a commitment of her very life and the rest of her life. Her destiny is to be with Naomi and to be with Naomi's God and with Naomi's people for eternity. Friend, that's the kind of decision that you make when you truly follow Jesus. And if you've never made such a decision and such a commitment, you're not following Jesus. You're not really a Christian. You're not his disciple. But Ruth made that decision, and she followed, and she went all the way. And the story really unfolds from there. Finally, the gates of home appeared to Naomi. However long they had traveled, Bethlehem came within sight, that little town she had left ten years before. And as she and Ruth come walking through the gates, heads must have turned. It was probably only a town of a few hundred people back in that day, but many of them had likely forgotten about Naomi. She certainly didn't look the same as she did when she left. It had been a long, long time, and life had made an old woman out of her. But if Naomi was to any degree a stranger in her own city, what was Ruth? Who is this? What is she doing here? This Moabite, what is she doing among our people? It's a thought that gives me a chill from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet as they looked upon this young maiden from Moab and wondered who she was and why she was there. And if they paid her much regard, they might have looked upon her with scorn and with contempt and with suspicion. But little did they know that when they looked at her, they were looking at the grandmother of the creator of the universe. She didn't even know it. God would make her famous in Bethlehem and in Israel. God had great plans for her and for her life, and He used her in one of the most incredible ways, all because of the simple and trusting faith He found in her heart that she showed when she made that decision on the road from Moab, and she followed Naomi to become one of God's people. And you, my friends, simply have no idea what the Lord can make out of your life if you'll bring Him your heart and your life with that same kind of yielding, trusting, obedient faith. And Lord willing, I'm going to bring you just a little closer next week to what this woman became and what her decision meant, not only for her, but for you and me. Because, friends, this is not merely a story of a marriage. It's not merely a story of a friendship. It's not merely a story of the redemption of property and a family. The book of Ruth is the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God was piecing together the great puzzle of all time and eternity when He brought her from that land of Moab to the town of Bethlehem. And so you'll want to join me for that study over the next few weeks as we continue our series, Bread in Bethlehem. I walk right with the Savior of men, rejoice because He has saved me from sin. No other can make the rock pillows to cease, and give me such love, joy, and peace. Oh, His glory is
You perhaps don't realize the power of a simple decision and the great change that it can make in your life and your eternal destiny. The decision to follow Jesus, to become His disciple, to say along with Ruth so long ago, wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die and be buried. Are you ready to make that kind of commitment to Jesus? You say, well, I don't know enough to follow Jesus. There's a lot about the Bible and about all of this Christianity business that I don't understand. Let me tell you, my friend, if you understand that Jesus died for your sins, that He died to save you, if you believe that He died and that He rose again and lives on high, and you're ready to commit your life to Him and learn of Him, then you're ready to make that decision. And I hope you will make that decision. If we can assist you in obedience to the gospel in baptism today for the remission of your sins, I hope that you'll make that choice and that we can rejoice with you today in becoming a child of God. If you'd like a copy of our lesson today, the third part in our five-part series, Bread in Bethlehem, call us and ask for the lesson, The Decisions That Destine Us. That's number three in our series, and we'll be happy to send you a free printed copy. Also, be sure to look at our website, ltbstv.org, and follow us on social media, and tell your friends about Let the Bible Speak. Encourage them to watch next time we're here on the air, and look for us online. We hope to, that you'll make your plans to join us back here next time, if the Lord wills, for another Bible study. Until then, I hope you have a great week ahead, and may God richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.